Okay, so welcome to podcast number three with Hannah Gibson uh, of Blood, Sweat and Deers and the Service UK podcast. Um, I'm joined today by Hannah, who I've just said. Um, thank you, Hannah, for joining us. And I know I only asked you yesterday, uh, and as it has been International Women's Day this week, I thought it was fitting that we had um, a lady join us. And you are a significant lady. Um, I was just doing some research on you, and I found a nice magazine article where it says, Hannah Gibson is easily one of the country's most impressive female shooters. She is a multidiscipline powerhouse who has travelled the globe to fill her trophy cabinet with solo and team trophies in sporting, Olympic skeet and sport trap. Her impressive credentials combined with her passion for introducing new shots is inspiring to the next generation of clay shooters and is something we could all learn from. That's oh. incredible. I paid him a lot of money to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's great. You know, I first time I met you uh, was last year at Garlands when you were up. Um, what was the event? It was the British Open Sporting. Yeah, British Open Sporting. And we were up there um, trying to get some content. And um, I met you through Fiocchi because you use Fiocchi as the ammunition. And so we've got a mutual interest there. And um, I met your father as well. And we had a little yeah. bit of a chat. And then since then, obviously, um, I've got to know you a little bit better. But you aren't just a clay shooter. You're a game shooter. You're a deer stalker. You've got Bavarian mountain hounds. We've got loads to talk about. Yeah, definitely. How did it all start? Um, so my dad was a competitive clay shooter. And um, our local ground, Northall, we used to go up there for like members barbecues. The whole family um, would go up there. And then Charlotte, whose parents ran Northall, won the Commonwealth Games. Um, my mum's never been involved in shooting. Um, and it was like, oh, this is the first time that I've seen a woman um, actually shoot and, and do well at it. So... It sparked a bit of an interest and I kind of kept on at dad, like, can I have a go? And as kids, we played like loads of sports when I was younger, badminton, cricket, football, horse riding, like you name it, we kind of did it. So after a little bit of time, dad was like, okay, we'll take you up there. So yeah, haven't really looked back since then. How old were you then? I was 12. So it wasn't with a 12 borer, was it? Did he did he throw you in at the deep end? <laughs> no, no. So we um we started with a 20 bore. Me and my brother, um, I remember us saving up like our Christmas and birthday money, but both of us are really competitive. So I kind of my brother's left-handed, right eye dominant. Oh. Um, and shooting just wasn't wasn't for him, bless him. And um <laughs> He's like great said, at badminton. <laughs> he was really—he was a really good swimmer, um, oh, and I was not so much. So he stuck to swimming, and I stuck to shooting. Um, and yeah, have been lucky enough to be involved in it since. But I'd say um, my competitive nature with it came out uh, again as a family on weekends. We used to go beat him, me, my dad, my brother, and my granddad. Yeah. So it got to the end of the season, beater's day, um, 
my granddad was stood with me on this drive and there was this what, lad. What, what neck of the woods is this? Whereabouts in the country? So this is in the southeast, Sussex. Yeah. Um, and yeah, my granddad stood next to me and this lad on the left-hand side was there with his granddad. He was two years younger than me and kept cutting me off and taking my birds. And I remember at the end of the drive saying to granddad, I was like, I'm absolutely fuming. Like, I can't have this happen again. Like, I've got to get better than the boys. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's something that's kind of always stuck. And yeah, just don't want to, just want to continue with it and, and yeah. keep yeah, so you started at 12 and then you progressed up in, in, through the junior rankings, did you? Did you, did, did you, and I've just read out that you, you know, you're multidisciplined, but what did you favour to start with? Where did you, what did you do, skeet or something like that? Or So I started on sporting and like I say, I used to play badminton for the county. So on a Saturday morning, Dad and I would quickly pop up to Northall, shoot their 70 bird competition and then he would take me straight to the leisure centre. I'd have three hours of badminton, and then I'd come home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Saturdays were pretty hectic. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I was coming up to my final year of school, and Dan at Northall said, "Why don't you give Olympic ski a go?" Um, and I'd kind of I've dabbled in a little bit of sporting, but it wasn't. I didn't give it my full attention. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, decided to give Olympic ski a go. Been lucky to have uh, travelled the world with that and competing at European Championships. But really, I'm going to get told off for this, but do you think shooting in general is a male-dominated sport? How have you found your inclusion within that and getting accepted into that. And I know you said you're competitive and that's really helped probably because you will muscle your way to the, to the front, but you know, um, how, how's that been? I guess I was really lucky with Northall. Um, we had quite a number of women shoot there. Yeah. So I guess for kind of the first six years really of my shooting career, yeah. um, I was surrounded by a lot of women, a lot of juniors, cults, um, and it was very much that club atmosphere. And it was yep. only when you start getting involved in different areas of the sport um, that you're almost more aware of it. And I'd say, um, yeah, it's been it's been interesting to see how um, some people perceive women within the sport. But yep. the majority of the time, people were absolutely fine. And, like, they try so hard to help you out, which sometimes is great, but sometimes you also need a bit of your own space to be able to think and um, to understand things as well. Yeah. So how – so now, taking up to now, uh, I know last summer was probably difficult because we came out of lockdown and everything. How, how do you prepare for these big – shoots that you've got come over do you have the dates arriving in your calendar and think right i'm really going to target that one um i mean you if you've been shooting since you were 12 it must be everything's from memory and you know what you're doing but do you do you have to practice a lot or um how are you i'm quite lucky and i don't feel like i need to practice a massive amount yeah and 
I'd rather practice something that is giving me problems or kind of identifying what needs work on rather yeah. than just practicing for the sake of it. Um, a difficult bird. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What, did, um, what, what would be a difficult bird? Oh, it, it goes, <laughs> it depends really. Um, for me, it's stuff like teal targets. Yeah. Um, and it's it goes in kind of fits and starts with what might be a problem one month. Um, and sometimes it's in your head that you yeah. might have had a bad competition yeah. and a target that wouldn't usually cause you issues or concerns from that competition sometimes creeps in and kind of yeah gives you a little bit of negativity towards it um and i'd say it's probably only in the last couple of years that i've really noticed how important the mental aspect is of yeah. it and working on that and lockdown's been great that in a way in a way yeah. um that it gives you or it's given me the chance to take a step back and kind of assess um the bigger picture rather than almost just going with the flow like one shoot to the next sort of thing yeah um so it has been good, good in some ways if you reflected back what would be one of your favorite places that you've shot i mean you've traveled a bit haven't you so um have you got a place that you think oh that was the most not necessarily because you shot the best, but it was just a nice ground, nice layout, nice atmosphere. Um, or what is it? Have you got a favorite? So I'd say, um, for me, Slovenia, um, really, yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Um, the range there, and as well, it's the first competition like internationally I'd done. Um, yeah, the weather was great. I, um, I sell Shamar in Slovenia, but I've never been. Um, really? I've got an old friend there I've, I've, I've um, worked with for years, Joseph, and all I get is stunning pictures of sort of September, August, August, September, October when they're shooting the chamois. And um, I've, I've sent clients out there regularly and it's really on my to-do list. It's meant to be the most stunning country. So I can, you know, it's, it's down sort of like on the edge of the med, isn't it? You know what I mean? Round from Italy, and um, yeah, I, I, I could um, I could relate to that, you know, um, not from a clay shooting perspective, but from a shooting perspective. So Slovenia, and what about the UK? Um, gosh, there's a lot of good grounds within yeah. the UK. Um, we're lucky within the south. You've got like EJ Churchill's. Yeah. Um, obviously, yeah. There's quite a few about. Yeah. Um, but I love shooting abroad. There's just such a yeah. difference here when you go go away and everybody just feels more relaxed. There's kind of, um, you've got that village and that atmosphere that everybody's happy to chat. Um, all the nations come together. So, yeah, there's just a real buzz about competing abroad. And what, um, I'm sure everybody, what kit do you use? Have you got, I presume you're sponsored. Um, I, I know you use Fiocchi cartridges. I said that before. We both use Fiocchi, so there's a bit of a link there between us. But uh, what, what gun do you use? Um, so I've used a Kriegoff for the last, or well, must be coming up, seven years. And oh. then the Kriegoff parkour, which I absolutely love. Um, and then... I use, yeah, Fiocchi F black shells. But for me, 
it's always been important to have a good relationship with my sponsors. Um, yeah. And I've been been with these guys since I moved back to shooting sporting. Um, and both both of them are absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. So we've, that's covered you on your clays. You said you were did some game shooting in the early days with dad, granddad, beta days and other things. Yeah. Has that run parallel or did you... Have you, have you carried on doing that? Tell us a bit about how you got into game shooting and, and that and and uh, and how you ended up living with a gamekeeper. <laughs> yeah, for my sins. Um, so, yeah, like I say, weekends, um, Saturdays were spent beating kind of around early teens and then obviously schoolwork came in. Um, competing so that side of things took a bit of a backseat and it probably wasn't until maybe six seven years ago that the game shooting aspect of my life almost picked up drastically when I <laughs> met Alex um yeah was invited to a beaters day here and shot then, everything that came over you <laughs> yeah, mm, Embarrassed a few people. So, um, <laughs> I, 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 meet the girlfriend she's never shot before. Tum, 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 tum. <laughs> that's it. So, um, uh, and yeah. Do you, do you get to go pigeon shooting? Do you do any? Do you do any? Uh, do, you, uh, do you do any of the you know different types of bird shooting? So when Alex and I first got together, I was promised on the second date he would take me pigeon shooting. So um, I think we've been pigeon shooting once and it was actually Andy Crow that had sorted me out my first day on the pigeon. Fantastic. Um, so, but yeah, otherwise I don't shoot a massive amount um, of other game. I really enjoy being within the field, not necessarily yeah. shooting myself. Like yeah. I'm really happy. Yeah. Um, Alex is a fantastic game shot. Although don't tell him I said that, otherwise yeah. he's not fitting through the door. Yeah. Um and I love just standing on peg, watching him, um, and just being part of the day. There's so much going on and you meet so many different characters. You do. I totally agree with you there. Um I love a shoot day, uh, whether we're I'm out on a um a little shoot that's um I'm a, a syndicate member in, or it's our little family shoot, which is mainly duck ponds and stuff like that. And we have, well, did have in the old days, guests and people coming along, you know what I mean? And and that friendly banter and um, and, and common enjoyment of being out and doesn't, certainly the people I'm with, it's nothing about the bag, it's about how the day goes or or the bird that you should have hit and you missed, you know what I mean? And, uh, but and the and the dogs and the working of the dogs and um, I love everything like that. So I can really um, I can understand how you feel. You said earlier on you've been pigeon shooting with Andy Crow. Did you actually beat him? Um, no, <laughs> no. I'll give him that. I was, on a, I was on a Beretta day with him last year, and um, God, he was shooting some birds, clays. I thought, flipping it, that's, he was shooting some tall birds. He knew where to shoot. So, uh, hat off, Andy. Um, I respect you for that. But, um, yeah. So, then, so that's your game shooting. And um, you then got into deer stalking. I've seen you've done quite a bit with that. You've got Bavarian mountain hounds, the same as we have. Yeah. 
tell us how you got into your deer stalking. So um, for me, shotguns are second nature. Like we've said, I've, I picked it up when I was 12. Um, but rifles I hadn't I hadn't touched. Um, and I will openly admit now, um, I still don't feel kind of as... Um, At one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was only because, again, with Alex that he was coming home. Um, the kitchen was being taken over by deer carcasses. Good um, lad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> filling up the freezer. Um, and I was like, actually, I think I'd like to get involved um, yeah. in this aspect of it. And even just sat up a high seat, just kind of watching the world go by, the different wildlife. Oh, like, yeah. I'm just happy even just doing that. Um and I've had some incredible trips, um, not a huge amount, but yeah. enjoyed, like we've been up to Scotland a couple of times. Um, and yeah, it's just a really nice thing to get involved in. And um, obviously with my job, it's such a massive part. Um, what do you of- do for a job, Hannah? <laughs> said knowing actually. Yeah. <laughs> um so I you're, work... all, you're all shooting you are aren't you really that's what it is that's what I was keen to uh do a podcast with you so um go on tell us about what you do um so I work for Spartan Precision Equipment um which I sort of fell into a couple of years back um and yeah haven't looked back since and it's been incredible to see the company grow in the way that it has um so, yeah, I'm very lucky and fortunate to have had some hunting experiences through that. But even, again, the people that you meet, it's not just within the UK, but it's globally. Yeah. Um, what, what, what do you do for Spartan? Um, so I am their general manager. Right, yeah. And um, I look after their sales as well. So, right, so you do a lot there, actually. Yeah, a fair amount. Yeah, and how, how's well, oh, I'm, not, I'm not being super nosy, but how Spartan fared through the um, you know the pandemic? Has that been tough for you as well? Um, but- for us, I'm I'm really grateful that we've had an incredible year. Um, really, well, that's great news. Yeah, um, our European distribution network we've um, we've worked quite hard over the last sort of eighteen months. So that's been quite strong, but the growth within the US the last year has just been ridiculous. Really? Um, yeah, so it's just it's just another world out there. Did you target that with your marketing, or was it was it they've, they've picked up on it and other people have spoken about it, or is it has it been a combination? How, how how's the wind got into your sales in the states? I mean, the states is the marketplace everybody wants to crack if you're European, isn't it? Because you get the you get the numbers, don't you? Which is um, always helpful, you know. And if one one person starts singing about it, and the Yanks love the long distance shooting, which the um, the javelin is awesome for, isn't it? You know what I mean? Real stable base. Um, how do you think? How do you think? Has it exploded like that? Oh, um, pen, Mr. Pen down, Dan. <laughs> um, Mr. G has done um, an incredible job in the network that 
he's created out there. We've got some amazing friends in um, terms of people like Joseph von Benedict, Craig Boddington, Ian Harrison from Recall Magazine, um, the guys at Rockslide. There's just a huge number of people right. who have been so supportive and um, have really embraced the product because it's completely different to anything yeah. else on the market that it's magnetically attached and lightweight. So, yeah, people have really embraced it over there and they don't seem as worried about change. Um, considering, kind of, considering Harry's bipod was the American product, wasn't it, that, you know, I think when I was stalking in the uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, they started coming in then and everybody had to fit the little nib to it and all that, you know, all the springs and everything on it. And um, so it's great to see that uh, a British company is doing so well out there when uh, really that's where they came from, I suppose, isn't it? You know, but, uh, brilliant. Oh, that's, that's, that's really good to hear. And have you got any new products, any exciting news you can tell us about? Yeah, so um, we have our new tripod launching. Um, hopefully, it will be next week. So, oh, this um, is going to sound like we organised this to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> Should be a banner flash up now. <laughs> yeah, and the new Spartan Sucker launched yesterday. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's been quite a few new products launched this year, but we're a company that we listen to what people have to say rather than think we know best and modify those products for the customer needs. So um, for us, the tripod was kind of the natural progression um, to change. People wanted something that they could glass with. Yeah. And out in the States, that's kind yeah, of yeah. percent of the time what they're doing. So. 700 yard shot on a prong or on something like yeah, that. <laughs> no, I told a story in the last um podcast about Craig Boddington who you said use him and uh, I said still to this day I think he was uh, one of the best shots I has ever stalked with me and just literally picked the gun up and went bang you know what I mean and just knew exactly what to do um, but again I think that, that's the same with back to your clay shooting or anything it's all practice makes perfect doesn't it so I think that all these people that do do the long range shooting they do practice and that product's great for you know, I've, I've got um, a javelin bipod and um, whenever I'm zeroing, it's um, really useful to, <laughs> on one, we've got various ranges on different estates and I'm not going to name the estate, but on the one, the table's kind of dropped a bit. So oh, no. <laughs> it's not quite flat, but we only use it for 100 yards zero, but you can just adjust it and get your, get your yeah. sort of level with the table. But um, no, great product. So you work for Javelin. You've been there a few years. Um, didn't I see, well, I didn't see, actually, you made a film last year with them. That's when you went to Scotland, perhaps, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Um, so we took Bridget, um, who is First Light's marketing manager, yeah. up to the Scottish Highlands. And one thing that's really interesting in my job is the fact that we're dealing with customers globally and looking at the different hunting cultures. Um, so to take Bridget up into the Highlands was great for her to see how things worked. And 
she actually shot hind and a calf but it was quite interesting it was a shame that we we didn't get to film her shots um but obviously they used the tag system out in the US yeah. and um she shot the hind and the ghillie was like right come on like shoot the hind and she's panicking that the shot had gone wrong because she wasn't used to being able to shoot two animals um so yeah it was an incredible week up there i, I totally agree with that i've in the past or oh, i regularly have american clients come over um but i can remember probably 10 or 15 years ago i have an american guy um who came over from muntjac but um we got him his book in the first outing so I said, well, look, you know, you paid for the outing. Well, I'm, I may be going to think about shooting another. I said, well, let's just go and whack some fallow. I've got loads of fallow to shoot. Yeah. And and like he whacked two in the morning and he's like, have a tagged out. I said, no, you haven't tagged out. We don't do tags here. We just, we've got a call to do and we've got to just keep shooting them. And he said, I can't believe it. And then he was also not used to the fact that we had so many different species of deer. So on the one estate, three species, fallow, row and mudjack. Well, he just wasn't used to that. He was just used to whitetails, you know what I mean? Or mule as if he was going to go somewhere else. But, um, yeah, it's considering it's such a big country and they, they've they got a huge deer population, I don't think they've got any – I don't think many people have got the density that we've got for deer. Um, and, and, and I think that's a big surprise to a lot of people. But in particular, when you've had a tag system, um, the Americans agree with that. But was the weather nice in Scotland or was it cruel? We were so lucky. Um, <laughs> we didn't have any rain and the sun was out. Yeah, we were so lucky up there, um, which, which kind of helped. What time were you there, end of November? Uh, it was beginning of November, I think. Yeah, so I was up there um, mid-October. Um, I think it was last week of the Stags. We went up, made a really nice film, but we had some we had some bad weather. Yeah, it's a real tester for kit, uh, and I think Scotland. Um, no matter what you're doing up there, if you're out on, on walked up grass, what we love doing, um, goose shooting. Um, it never disappoints. It's so beautiful up there, isn't it? You know what I mean? It, the landscape and just the, the the sheer wildness. So I love it. And I think we've got two trips booked, I think, this year to Scotland, all being well, um, that everything goes to plan and we're hopefully back to normal. Um, and Boris's, Boris's road map actually works. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. But you can see why it's almost like the pilgrimage of hunting for people um to go up there if people haven't experienced it yeah i I sell uh sport up there and the french in in, the french in particular have a real love affair with you know they won't look at england they'll drive straight through it straight to scotland ecosse they have a real love of it and um constantly get inquiries from france um through one of our agencies for, for sport up there and and this year um um it's it's not good for me but it's it's a, a reflection of us all coming out of um the lockdown is um everything's booked everybody's booking everybody's got booking confidence i have to be careful how i say that and no. um and it, I, i've um 
look for sport and expected to get it and it's already got a name on it you know um which is good and I, I was speaking to a goose guide up there and he's fully booked till christmas you know what i mean um, which is all good but um everything's very tentative so we can only hope I think because people haven't been able to get out like we like it here at home, that yeah. you had such a small part of the season actually go ahead and you feel so sorry for the gamekeepers and the estates that have put in that hard work during the summer, getting everything ready, um, to only be able to shoot a handful of days or for some shoots not at all. Um, and I think it's great that, People are actually booking up um, for next year or for this season coming that they want to get it in the diaries and kind of just support the industry, really. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's refreshing to see us, ourselves coming out of this into the spring and, and people being so positive about it. Those dark days in December when everything was being cancelled and we, we had um, three days shooting, but two in um, December and one in January and uh, you know we rely on those for content on Dan's side of the business and it was it was really difficult and you know the, the shoots that we spoke to they were like really struggling with it you know and I mean you, you'll know from the, the estate Alex managed how many birds were left at the end of the season it's been um, we've, we've been out doing our deer call and um, getting around pheasants in February uh, and March or it's just like them going to roost in October. There's so many birds about still. And it really, if you're trying to sneak around the woodlands quietly and not disturb things, and there's three cockbirds running off into some cover, just yeah. as you're stalking into a group of fallow, you know, it's uh, it's been a, it, it's been unique because normally at the end of the season, there's there's just a small stock left, isn't there? You know what I mean? Yeah. And but over 50% of the birds left at least. Um, with them not having the heart of the season like December, um, being able to shoot this year has been a, a real challenge. But uh, yeah, I, I, I just hope that you're gonna, you know, everybody continues with what they're doing and commits to the shooting, and uh, we rise out of this and uh, put it behind us, and we can get on with our lives. And it's been difficult for every business, and that's why it's. Really good to hear um, the business you're working for is, um, you know, managed really well. You know, it's been difficult for some, hasn't it? Definitely, definitely. And we're, yeah, like I say, we're incredibly lucky and grateful that things are good for us. Yeah. Um, so to start, go back onto the deer stalking side, I've got a Bavarian pup called Lola. I'm surprised yeah. she hasn't come and joined us yet, but... Um, and, and, and you've got a Bavarian, two Bavarians. What dogs have you got? Uh, so I've just got a Bavarian um, called Fern, bless her. And how she, old's Fern? She is three this year. Um, the world's neediest dog, they're quite frankly. They're incredible characters, aren't they? It's. I don't think anything prepares you for a Bavarian mountain hound. Um, uh, one of the lads who I know has just bought a pup and he um, he sent me a message going, what should I expect? And I said, if you've only had labs and spaniels like myself up until that point, and I, I've had um, labs that I've trained as deer dogs, um, oh, forget about it. You know, don't, they're, they're the most wonderful dog. Um, 
and but they are needy. So needy. <laughs> they're bloody needy. And needy and naughty. And oh. um, you know, it's like with a lab, you just expect it to sort of like do as it's told and everything. But Lola and my previous dog, Basha, um I lost last year, um, are just such characters. Lola's different characters to Basha. I mean, she's only like 10, 11 months old and um uh, I've just started taking her into the woods. Um, I say on live deer, but li- real live scent. Um, all she's done is scent shoe training, uh, which she's excelled at. Um, and but I've got to now get her um, onto scent that is confused by other scent, if you know what I mean. So yeah. it's uh, so next week I'm away um, uh, for three, four days down in Hampshire. So I'm taking her with me. That's going to be her first proper working trip. She's been doing the odd days, you know, so uh, yeah. see, how, see how she goes. It's amazing how bred into him it is. Um, I know with Fern, she's not done a huge amount. Um, initially, Alex bought her and he was doing a lot of stalking. Yeah. Um, but now that's kind of scaled back a little bit. Um, and she just doesn't forget it at all. Yeah. No, they've got so much instinct, haven't they? That's that's the thing. And it's like when I I wondered how I was going to, you know, wed Lola because my first dog, Basha, when I got her, she was nine months old because I imported her from Poland. So she went to her friends and a Dutch guy trained her. And then we got her at nine months. I imported her and her sister and my mate had a sister. And um, she was already good to go, if you know what I mean, Basha was. She just needed experience and... um, and um, a bit of control, but um, Lola, so I had to do her from day dot and, you know, we put all the skins in with her and the occasional leg and all that. And and then just did some literal, you know, uh, I just put some blood out in the garden really when she was probably only two, three months old. Uh, and I was talking to Deck Marlow from UK DTR and he says, forget about the blood. He says, just use uh, hoof scent, get yourself some fallow legs and just do that. And I did. And that's all I've done. Uh, and I've not used blood in any of my tracking yeah. since. Um, although she's done a couple of month jack now that we've shot and they've only ran 30, 40 yards, but we've took her back an hour later. Uh, and of course there's blood and scent and everything. And I think it just made it easier for her, to be honest. I mean, she was like nearly pulled me over on the line trying to get to it, um, which was brilliant. And um, yes, yeah, I think for me, I've, I've had 12 months without a dog um, and I was stupid and never um, had a contingency plan for when Basha went and it ended up being UK DTR, the, the, the tracking lads, uh, for 12 months and now I've got the pup and um, I really missed that time when I didn't have my dog with me. Uh, felt quite vulnerable actually when I got clients out. I got The lads that helped me have dogs so it wasn't so bad as that but um um yeah so i'm really pleased to have a dog back in the back of the truck so they're a very rewarding breed as well as yeah. much as they are needy um they do just want to please yeah and what's alex got does he has he got any spaniels or labs for his job or yeah so we've got a mixture we've got um a few spaniels and labs um yeah, yeah just kind of keep the the beaten team varied really yeah it's it's weird because we've got two bavarians we've got one that we never train which is kind of the wife's dog which is 
a pup from Basha, then the new pup. And um, it's probably the first time since I was a kid I've not had a spaniel or a lab in the house. You know what I mean? It's we kind of um, so. Uh, but my eldest son now left home. He's got a spaniel pup that he's training that's coming on really well. So we've got one within the system, so to speak. But it's uh, we, we're never normally less than three dogs when we're down to two. And uh, I certainly am interested in getting a lab. I haven't told the wife yet. (laughs) 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 Got to get it past the long hair general. But I I think next year I'll uh, definitely have another lab pup. Um, So uh, I just, I think it just makes what you do, doesn't it? Having Definitely. And like you say, um, whether you're out kind of stalking or even in the field game shooting, it's nice to have them with you, even if they just pick a couple of birds. Um, yeah, it's nice to see them work. Yeah, absolutely. So we're coming out of lockdown. Um, we're back on the clay grounds at the end of the month. We're in March. If you're historically watching this podcast, this is uh, mid-March. Um, what have you got lined up then? What are you looking forward to? Are you got yourself booked in on the first day for a session have you um so funny enough I actually had a conversation with my dad yesterday he was like I'm over this like are you taking the 29th off um so we're gonna go out on the 29th I think we've got um the 31st booked in shooting so yeah just kind of making the most of being able to be back at the ranges really um there's a few major competitions that hopefully will go ahead. Yeah. Um, but there's kind of still this like uncertainty on what's going to happen in the next sort of six, eight weeks. So, um, yeah, it's a bit weird not quite knowing. knowing whether to prepare kind of all guns blazing, so to yeah. speak, um, or not really. Is Is there any um international stuff that you would be interested in doing later on in the year or are you going to leave it this year do you think or um so there's a few competitions um that are showing that they're going ahead um again i'm kind of being a little bit um relaxed about booking yeah anything um just organization yeah after unorganize it we're all desperate to get out and go back to some form of normality. Like, you know, the, you know, hopefully the, the game fair said it's going ahead. I think that's, that's what we've all missed in it. That, that getting out and having a social, whether it's on the clay grounds, game fairs or, or, you know, not even to do with shooting, you know, just seeing your friends and having a, Definitely. You know, doing, ending up doing things like this. I mean, God, I almost have half a dozen zoom calls a week with friends and, yeah. family and business and it's just you just want to meet people in the flesh do. rather than you're like oh god another zoom call this week sort of thing um, you do i was stalking this week and i met the farmer and normally it's just an hands up as he goes past in the tractor or on the gate well it's like an hour's chat about anything you know like, it's a real life human i'm not gonna name him but it's always a moan normally <laughs> oh. no no um but i think that's what we're all missing that so what have you, I asked um, Dom, who I previously uh, did a podcast with, and what have you done? What's been your guilty pleasure over it? Have you got into something, learned to do something different, 
what have you done outside of what you would do shooting wise is it anything I, I did see on your social media you've been giving it the old uh, back in the yeah. gym haven't you yeah so um set up in the garage um just some kind of little bit of weight training um and and cardio but mine and alex's what in 400 kilos yeah, not quite. <laughs> or alex yeah <laughs> Um, like one minute you're hip and cool and the next minute like you're into gardening and worrying how how your kind of shrubs are getting on um, don't knock it we've, been, we've had the go ahead on our allotment for tomorrow it's like big day out yeah and it's <laughs> just the spade. it was like last weekend um we were like usually we'd spend a sunday at the clay grounds or kind of doing something like that instead we spent it at the garden center like it's yeah an age thing darling that's what it is oh, not even 30 yet <laughs> uh, yeah i don't think i was gardening at 30 <laughs> oh, was, but as i've got older i really have enjoyed i think it's about eight or nine years ago i got a greenhouse and that's when my life changed yeah <laughs> instead I'm of like... buying the plants i grew things from seed and just to be down in the greenhouse for a couple of hours you know, spring and early summer and stuff like that. And I think it's really, I think we're more aware now than perhaps when I was younger of where our food comes from. And it's nice to grow your own food, isn't it? You know, and uh, yeah, it's, it's so easy to as well. You know what I mean? It's, it's And I guess we're lucky as well, aren't we, being shooters, that we're one step closer as well with the meat aspect. Yeah. Um, that we know where that comes from. So growing your own veg etc yeah i i um i haven't been taking any clients out and um i just haven't been comfortable with it i said this before i just um but we have been plodding away at the cull as best we can and um i had a client who supposed to become a friend really james um out of london who contacted me um two years ago and he wasn't interested in deer stalking he was into cooking and him and his dad used to cook all these nights and he wanted to shoot something and then be able to skin it all off in his flat in London uh, and then prepare it himself. So he came out and uh, and shot a roe deer and, and did all the prep on it. And we've kept in touch and he's stalked um, regularly with us. Anyway, same with you. We all in touch over messages and such like that. And he said, oh, whenever I can go out, I'm happy to come and we can stalk the distance. I said, well, look, I'm, I'm going to be down south next week. If you want an hour, afternoon out, let's go for it. So we did. And um, it was, um, I'd got a few munchak to shoot on this one piece of ground. And um, we went out for a stalk and we saw so many deer, but weren't successful um, for one reason or another. It was really quite windy. So the deer were a bit spooked. Um, and we went out really early in the afternoon. We went out about half two, quarter three, and it wasn't dark till half six. And um, we must have had the safety off at least three or four times, and it just didn't quite happen. Or I called a book, and he started coming, then wandered away. And um, anyway, finally, last light, this right. book crossed the ride. Dad, I'm just doing a um, – I'm just on the – yeah, you shouldn't – yeah, no problem. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> A live podcast and my dad interrupts. <laughs> he shouldn't even be in here. <laughs> anyway, he wasn't even an essential we or something. Anyway, um, 
last light, came down out of some thick, across the ride, up on the sticks, straight onto it, did a great job. And um, and so I didn't think we were going to have anything, and we ended up with a carcass, and he was chuffed to bits because, again, he wanted some meat. And then within 24 hours, he'd sent me pictures of he'd skinned it all off, prepped it all, jointed it all. He'd probably got a recipe for every different joint, you know. Um, and I love those kind of people, you know. And um, we're definitely eating more venison um, than we've ever eaten before because of the price is being so rubbish. I've got three strapping sons who all like the protein. And uh, and as I keep telling everybody, I've got into doing this dehydrating of um, the fillets. And, okay. uh, yeah. And um, like every week I'm making it now, but it just goes, I make it and it just, it's the most beautiful way. So yeah, I think growing our own vegetables and, and, and eating meat that we've called ourselves and we know where it's from, um and now changing to copper ammunition <laughs> yeah i'm not in eating anything myself now that's been shot with lead um yeah it's um that's yeah, it's the future i think you know I think um, so. it's just pity we can't get more people to realize how good it is and 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 get a better we, return on our on our venison sales we quite often um we don't ever buy any beef mints um we invested in a proper butcher's mincer um, and probably for the last, I would say, minimum of three, if not four years, like that's all that's been in our freezer. Um, and the amount of friends we've had over that you either do lasagna, spaghetti bolognese, chili, they wouldn't know the difference. And it's only afterwards you say... It's not beef, it's actually venison. I know that's, I'll keep bouncing this pen about, I'm going to get a red card off my son again. I agree with you totally. And Tom, my eldest son, um, who, who loves his food prep as well, he has all the shoulders off anything we have spare. And he's bought a mincer and a backpacker. Uh, and uh, and we get we get the mince back then, you know. And like you say, if, if you're putting it into anything that you're going to put some herbs through or some spice through, or, you know, you can't tell at all. You know what I mean? And, and you, you don't also get that great big smear of fat on the top of it like you do when you're cooking cheap beef mints and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, long may it continue, but long or, or quickly may it be um, recognised how, how lucky we are to have such quality meat in our country. And people buy it a bit more, but it's just it, – it, there seems to always be this problem between what the person – that harvests it gets paid and with the price that it ends up being in the supermarket. It never seems to be any to come down and be cheaper than lamb say or anything like that. And you think, well, actually I'm going to give venison a go because it's the cheapest meat in the, you know, in the fridge, but. And it's only through people like us. We've got friends that might not have tried it before. Like here, have a few, few bags of mints. Yeah. Give it a go. Give it away. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully it'll all change. Well, Anna, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. I've really enjoyed it. I don't know where yeah. 45, 50 minutes has gone. It just whizzes by. Um, I I will say to you now, once we get back to normal, let's stalk together. It'd be great yeah. to do that. And um Bring some Spartan toys with you and we can have a play oh, with them. Yeah. I'd love to, um, yeah, I'm always looking to do reviews on stuff, so that would be brilliant. Um, I hope that you have a good clay pigeon season. I'll be keeping my eye on you. And, Thank you very um, much. 
and making sure you're using Fiocchi cartridges. Fiocchi cartridges. <laughs> oh, I'm so biased. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and send my best to your better half and your dad. We've got a great guy. I met him in the summer. And uh, have a great weekend, whatever you're doing, and let's stay in touch. Brilliant. Thank you, Owen. Thank I really appreciate you being our number three podcast, our only lady so far. Oh. And um, once we get, I don't know, a few dozen hundred, let's have a, uh, another one next autumn and see what you've been up to and, um, and how you've got on with your season. Yeah, no, definitely. That sounds great. Take care. Thank you ever so much. Thank see you, Hannah. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.